All right. So, last week was the ball pit. This week, I'm going to go really retro on us. <clears throat> Who do you want to be like? Who do you want to be like? Um, when I was growing up, um, everybody wanted to be like Mike. Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player ever in the history of the NBA, bar none, and we'll, we won't get into any further discussion. Yes, he's, he's, greater in football than Tom, or he's greater in basketball than Tom Brady is in football. Sorry, Rob. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so, uh, but everybody wanted to be like Mike. Now, I, I, I was 12 years old when the very first Air in fact, they weren't, well, they had Sky Jordans and Air Jordans, and if you wore the kid sizes, the first generation of Jordans came in Sky Jordans if you had kid sizes, and if you had the adult sizes, it was Air Jordan, okay? He had already earned that nickname because of all of his high flying and dunks and everything that he's, you know, his, he's known for, and um, I had that first pair, and I had every pair thereafter for about seven or eight years. Um, the very first pair cost $65. By the time I was in high school, they were 125. Now my dad, my dad and, and mom grew up, um, grew up poor, middle class. Dad was the son of a coal miner. Uh, they didn't have a lot of money. So my dad wouldn't, he didn't want to spend more than $20 on shoes. So, um, and you know, mom had worked him up by the mid 80s to 30. So $30 for shoes, who thinks that's still reasonable for shoes? If you go to Gabe's, if you go to TJ Maxx, you might be able to swing that, right? Or Kohl's with a coupon and Kohl's cash, right? Well, you know, so my, at the time, if I wanted Jordans, okay, I'm an only child. You know, it's not like they had to spend money on other kids. But I'm an only child, but my parents still were, you know, you got to pay for it. You, you, we'll give you 30. You come up with the rest. And so I, you know, I'd save my allowance, and I got paid to clean my whole house, including the bathrooms, and do some laundry every couple of weeks. So I would save up because you get, the new Jordans came out once a year. And I, would, I can't tell you how many times I shampooed those things. Even after a year, those shoes looked almost brand new. And I wore them every day. So um, it's amazing what you take care of when you pay for it. So there's a lesson for parents. That has nothing to do with my sermon. That's just for free as the kid's pastor. All right. So I want to show you something. Who do you want to be like? This is from... This is from about 1989, 1990. This is a Gatorade commercial that most of you probably know or at least have heard of. Can I have the sound on the computer, please? All right, um, and I'll get to the drink Gatorade part. Uh, if you would, yes, there is scripture in this. Open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter. Um, if you notice, you heard adults singing, kids singing. There were adults, kids, teenagers, everybody, all age groups, all races. They all wanted to be like Mike. At this point, 
Um, Michael Jordan hadn't won any championships or anything, but he had pretty well solidified himself as one of the best players at that point in the NBA. And we'll come back to that to help drive home my lesson. Hebrews 11. <clears throat> Starting in verse 32, and we're going to go into chapter 12. And then uh, I need you to mark this because we're going to go somewhere else after this. But Hebrews 11, starting in verse 32. If you have it, say amen. If you don't have it, say oh my. Okay, a couple of you. All right. <clears throat> Here we go. I'll read it. You catch up. It's a long passage. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, there it is from today, and who became, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. God had planned something better for us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus. And uh, we just thank you that this, this whole service is lined up with the point that I really believe you want us to hear, Lord. And I just pray that you would Guide my words and uh, give me the words to say and I pray you open hearts and minds to receive your word and that Jesus will be lifted up as a result. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So the title of my sermon today, is it working? There it is. You ain't Mike. <clears throat> I ain't Mike. You know, last night the, the, we had some youth over that didn't go to homecoming and uh, I only need these to read. I gotta take them off. All right, otherwise you're all blurry. Um, we had that didn't go to homecoming, and we were out here with the portable basketball hoop. And um, if you want to call what we were doing playing basketball, that's a loose translation of what we were doing. And uh, we even had the the goal set at like nine foot high. It's an adjustable height that one out in the parking lot. And um, I, how many dunks did I miss, Pastor Sammy? I, I was like under the hoop. They just backed up because I kept missing. They're like, he's not gonna make it anyway. So I certainly ain't Mike, and none of us ain't Mike, and we'll, we'll come back around to that. But, um, you know, the question that was on there at the beginning, who do you want to be like? Growing up, I grew up in church, and um, we've all heard these Bible stories of Moses and Abraham and, 
and uh, David and, and Samuel, and all these great things that were mentioned in Hebrews 11, the, the, the faith hall of fame is what, what some people call it. Um, we've, we've heard all these great deeds and, and, and saw God move, and man, if I could be like David, if I could be like Paul, if I, I want to be like, I want to be like, you know, growing up, you, you know, and you heard people saying, let's be like so-and-so, insert biblical hero name here. Well, as I, as I read the Bible and looking at this passage and other passages and what I've told the kids in Bible quiz and, they'll, they'll tell, and even my, the teenagers that have been in Bible quiz, who's the Bible about? They're so excited about that. Who's the Bible about? Okay, there we go. It's all about Jesus. The entirety of Scripture is about Jesus. God revealed himself to us through Jesus. So when you read about Moses parting the Red Sea and the Israelites walking on dry ground and you read about uh, the faith of Abraham and you read all the great deeds of, of the judges and the prophets, they pointed to Jesus. They weren't there necessarily to get their name in the Bible. They were there to point to the one that the Bible is all about. So I want to go back to a really familiar story to, that's familiar to everyone. Uh, turn, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's the story of David and Goliath. Really familiar passage. David and Goliath. <clears throat> so I want to open today by saying we are not to be like David. Uh, and and I, I, we are not to be David. Let me, let me clarify that a little bit. We're not to be David, Okay. We don't want to be, that's not our goal and our ambition. We don't want to compare ourselves to those around us because every human being has fallen and has flaws, right? Our standard is not, it's not even Pastor Dan, who I think is like one of the most highly, in, high men of integrity that I've ever met in my life. But it, our standard should not be Pastor Dan even. He would say, follow me as I follow Jesus. Our standard is Jesus in the word. And I, I really want us to, Bring that home today. And, J and David pointed to Jesus in the story of David and Goliath. And I want to highlight just a few things. We're not going to read the whole story. Don't worry. Um, I only have 25 points. We'll be out of here by noon. We're good. All right. Is this thing working? Okay. Cool. Eric, you might have to control this, buddy. I don't know if I missed it. Okay. Never mind. Number one, we want to seek God. Now, David sought God. Right? We read in, uh, in this passage, you know, he, he, tended, he tended sheep, but he also spent time with the king. In, in the NIV, it actually says he tended to the king. David spent time with the king as well. He spent time doing his job, shepherding the sheep for his father, but he also spent time with the king. Jesus also spent time with God, praying. Spent, he would go away and pray. Um, and it mentions this several times in the New Testament. I'm just going to fire through these if you want to write down the references. But in Mark 1.35, Jesus got up early to go pray alone. Luke 6.12, he went to pray. He spent the night in prayer alone. Luke 9.18, praying in private. And in John 17 and in Matthew 26, Jesus is praying in Gethsemane uh, the night of his crucifixion where he spent time in prayer. Jesus prayed, and of course, when, before he launched his ministry, he went into the wilderness for 40 days and spent time alone with God, didn't eat, and just prayed, and the angels tended to him at the end. 
Jesus spent time with God. He sought God. He sought the Father's will in his life. So David spent time with the king. He, he spent time with God in, as he was a shepherd. And so he knew the word. He knew God. And he had spent time with God, which is a pointer to Jesus, who showed us how to do it. And Jesus prayed and spent time with God. The second thing that David did that points to what Jesus did, which is near and dear to my heart, he knew the word. For those of you that don't know, I'm the, I'm the junior Bible quiz coordinator and the teen Bible quiz coordinator for the state of Ohio. Um, Bible quiz is the, the kind of the core ministry for me, um, for kids. It, it fuels and feeds the other ones, and we, we push and send and, and get the word in the kids so that they can be better rangers and girls ministries and it's really just it's been a blessing in my life and as a kid and as an as a parent and uh, so I'm really passionate about this point and I'm going to move on before I start crying as I'm notoriously known for <sighs> but David knew the word in the Psalms it talks about he meditated on God's law day and night every day every night David meditated on God's law he knew God's word he didn't always follow it Okay? Remember, David's flawed. We don't want to be David. We're pointing to Jesus. But he knew the word. Jesus, because the Bible's all about him, he obviously, he knew the word. And uh, several times, he, he had asked, he asked his followers, have you not read? And he would quote the Old Testament. Uh, a few occasions in Matthew twenty-two thirty-one, have you not read? Mark 12, 26, have you not read? Luke 20, 42, he quotes the Psalms. Um, trying to give peace about resurrection. Uh, when Jesus first started his ministry, he went into the synagogue, he opened up the scroll of Isaiah and quoted Isaiah and said, this is, this is fulfilled now in your prophecy or in your presence. Um, Jesus knew the word. It helped that he wrote it, but he still studied it and he knew it and he used it. He used it in the wilderness to fight the temptations of Satan. He used it big time. He quoted the scripture to Satan to remind him of his place versus Jesus' place. And knowing the word when you're going through it is just, there, there's nothing, there is nothing like it. You can have all the lights off and all the Jesus culture music blaring you want, but there is nothing like knowing the word of God and having the Holy Spirit bring it to your heart and being able to remember that Jesus is on the throne and it, it, he will get you through it. It's not that you're not going to go through it, but he's with you through it, and he suffered along with you, as in Hebrews uh, points out in, in uh, I forget which chapter, but Hebrews says it, trust me. Um, he, is, he suffered with you, and he knows what you're going through, and he understands, and he knows how to get out of it, because he is the way out. So Jesus knew the word. Jesus sought God, spent time alone with God, and he knew the word, and he used the word to bring comfort, to use it as a sword. He, he, used, it to, he used it to condemn the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Um, there, there are just there are an endless amount of moments in life where the, where the word of God is useful to you, good or bad. So I encourage you, if you aren't learning the word and memorizing it, do it. And uh, trust me, it'll, it'll bless you like nothing else. So he sought God, he knew the word, and he took action. David took action. 
Because he had spent time with God, because he knew God's, God's law, he took action. David comes, you know, we have two hills here. The enemy, the Philistines are encamped on one hill, and the people of God are camped on this hill. David comes, you know, and he hears Goliath, the enemy who's down in the valley, you know, taunting and, and poking fun at the, the Israelites. He hears Goliath, and he goes to, he tells his brothers and all these soldiers that are shaking in fear, you know, he asks, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? You know, he knows who God is. He, and then he starts to give his resume of, you know, what he's killed because he knows who God is and he didn't have fear. He's killed a lion and a bear. Coincidentally, Goliath was nine feet tall. The average length of a lion is nine feet. And David had killed, at this point, had already killed a lion. He says so um, in this. So he's kind of got experience with killing nine-foot things. So because of the experiences that God had brought him through and the actions that he had taken because of his faith in God, because he knew the word and because he had sought God, David stepped up to take action. Of course, we know the story. He went and got five stones that he only needed one of, and he, um, he tried on Saul's armor. That didn't fit because he was trying to be like Saul. Okay, Saul's armor didn't fit because David was trying to be like Saul, and Saul thought, here, the solution is to be like me. Here's my armor. Mm-mm. David, it didn't work. He took it off, and he faced Goliath with just God and his sling and the faith knowing that God would take down Goliath. Now, how does this point to Jesus? You have the enemy on one side. You have the people of Israel on the other side, scared, scared stiff, not coming down. You have a nine-foot enemy down in the valley taunting the people of God. Just day after day, scaring the bejeebers out of them. And in reality, we, even as Christians sometimes, we're the people of God. We're scared up on the hill. But God sent Jesus, who was in heaven first. He was with the Father from the beginning, the Bible says. Jesus descended the hill, came into the valley of earth, to take on Goliath, the enemy. And through the one act of crucifixion and dying in your place and dying for your sins and raising again three days later, Jesus conquered Goliath. Jesus conquered the devil. The whole Bible points to Jesus. So as you're reading through, your, through the word and you're looking at these, these great heroes of the faith, even reading through the names in Hebrews, these judges and, and Gideon who, who took on the armies with 300 men and, and um, you know, Samson who killed armies with a donkey's jawbone. I didn't know they were that tough, but jawbones apparently are tough. But you look at all these acts and you're like, man, I want to do that. I want to be like that. Know that all of that should point to Jesus and our, and our desire should be to be like Jesus. So going back to my, oh, I didn't really go here. Sorry, David stepped up. I got busy talking. Let me get this. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again. Watch this.
This is a Michael Jordan jersey. Yes, it's mine. <laughs> you can drink Gatorade. You can put on the shoes, buy the shoes every year. You can put on this shirt, but it doesn't make you Mike. If you notice in that, th this video is shot in the late 90s after Michael Jordan had gone six for six in six NBA championships. He was the six-time NBA Finals MVP. He, he retired as basically the greatest and still the greatest of all time in, in the sport of basketball. The first commercial, you saw kids and, and, and adults and teenagers, young and old, everybody trying to be like Mike, and you saw that. After Michael Jordan had had this journey through the 90s where he, he solidified himself as the greatest NBA champion, frankly, and, and, and the greatest player, did you notice who's the only one that can be like Mike? It takes Mike to be Mike. To be like Jesus, it takes Jesus. You have to have Jesus. You have to have your faith in Jesus to be like Jesus. You can pray. You can read your Bible. You can know the Bible because I know plenty of, I've known plenty of people in my life that have memorized Scripture that aren't even remotely Christian that can quote you Scripture after Scripture. Those are all components and facets, but first and foremost, you need Jesus. You want to be like Jesus? You got to be Jesus. Romans 8, 28, and 29. If you'll turn there, please. I'm going to put it on the screen, if it'll work. Romans 8, 28 and 29. Let me, I'll just come down and read it off the screen. Come on. There we go. 8, 28 and 29. A passage that's familiar to most of us. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That was our mega sports camp verse this past summer, by the way. 29 says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Say, image of his son. Um, the Greek word, this was pointed out a couple weeks ago, but the Greek word for image is icon. We know icons now because of our phone apps and all that stuff. You click on it. And the speaker, uh, Jerry, Jerry Birch, I think his name was, um, who spoke a couple weeks ago at our community service. Um, he had a nice, a, a cool little saying that kind of stuck with me. If, if we click on our icons and we expect to get that app, if people click on you, they should get Jesus, right? The only way to do that, and God's purpose in this, is to be conformed to the image of his son. You are not David. You are not Moses. You are not Paul. You are not Peter. You certainly aren't Michael Jordan, neither am I. You're, you're none of those people, and you're not called to be. Paul was Paul. Peter was Peter. Okay? You were called to be like Jesus. You're to be conformed into the image of the Son, um, the term in Christ. When people look at you, look at your life, they should see Jesus. Now, that's not always the case in my life, um, and it's not even the case in my week. Um, you know, we, we mess up. 
We, we strive to be conformed and we let the word and our time with God pull those things out of us so that we can be conformed to Christ. So it is important while, while praying and knowing the word aren't going to save you and alone aren't going to make you like Jesus, you've got to have Jesus in you. But once you have Jesus in you, you're going to want to seek God. You're going to want to spend time with him. You're going to want to know the word and you're going to use that word in, in life, in day-to-day circumstances within your own life and to bring encouragement to others. And the third thing, you're going to take action because of all those things. God has a purpose and a plan for each individual. And it's not the same as your neighbor. It's not even, your plan isn't even the same plan and purpose as your wife or your husband or your spouse or your children. Okay? Your plan and purpose, your, your path in life and what you're called and who you're called to minister to, all these events, each one of us have our own path. But ultimately, we're to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And it takes the washing of his word, time with God, and the Holy Spirit clearing us and cleansing us so that we can take action, so that we can minister to our neighbors, and we can preach the gospel to our Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These components all require faith in Jesus as the foundation. Many of us in this room are already Christians, so if you're here, I encourage you to to, to continue that faith and to do those three things. Some of you are here and you don't know Jesus. And if you don't have Jesus, there's no way that Romans 8, 28, and 29 will work for you because our own acts, our own actions, as good as they might be, you can be as generous as you want, you can pray as much as you want, you can do all those things, but none of that is going to save you. Jesus is the only way to salvation and the only, the only anchor to make all those things work. It takes Jesus to make those things work because if we try and do it on our own and in our own way, holy Toledo, that will not work. You will, you will fall. You'll fail and, and you'll resent the church. You'll resent God because of it because you tried it your way without Jesus. So you have to have Jesus. You have to have Jesus. I, I know we're in church and most of us have Jesus and you know I'm preaching this to to Christians, but, but we need to be reminded daily that we as Christians need Jesus daily. The gospel is not a, the gospel's not a one-trick pony. It's not, I said a prayer, I'm saved, boom, let, let, the, you know, let the games begin, I'm going to start seeking. We need the gospel every day because we screw up every day, or mess up every day. I'm sorry if that word offended you, um, but that's what we do. We mess up every day, even though we're trying to be like Christ. We're trying and we're striving and God is working in our lives. We're still going to mess up. And we need the gospel every day. We need Jesus every day to remind us that we can be forgiven for our mess-ups that day or the day before, the thoughts we had, whatever, the things we've said. We need Jesus every day to bring that forgiveness and to, and to continue this work in our lives. We've got to seek him. We've got to know the word. And only then can we take action. This church is going to do some awesome stuff. It's done some amazing things already, and we're known in our community uh, for for some of the things that we do, but we're known. I want to make Jesus known. Um, I had a, I've shared this a lot with people. I I was a music ed major at Kent State University. My choir director, um, in his choral conducting class, Dr. C.M. Shear, he said, there are four compliments that you can give a choir director at the end of a concert. Three of them are bad. 
The first one is when they come up to you and say, man, that, that tenor in the second row is fantastic. What a range. Okay, this is a choir. One voice shouldn't stand out. So though they mean well, they see the tenor. Or they come up to you and they say, man, that soprano section, just the blend, and they sounded fantastic, and they were on pitch, and the musicality, the dynamics were awesome. The third compliment, he said, was still bad. He said, you have an amazing choir. Okay, now we think mission accomplished. It's a choir. They sound great. Everything went well. No. The compliment that he told us to strive for is for people to come up to us and say, isn't Mozart awesome? Isn't Beethoven amazing? That Schubert could write. The purpose of the choir is to glorify the composer. The purpose of the church, I don't want people to come and say, man, you have an awesome Bible quiz team. I mean, it'd be cool. I mean, it's fine. But that's not our, that's not our purpose. I don't want people to say you have a phenomenal youth ministry and uh, lots of things going on. I don't even want people to say you have an awesome church. I want people to drive by Louisville First Assembly sign, drive by our building, or if we're out and we have our shirts on, they look at Louisville First Assembly and they just say, isn't Jesus awesome? But to look like Jesus, to be Jesus, you have to have Jesus. You got to seek him. You got to pray. You got to know the word and knowing him, okay? And then we can act and we can go out and we can make Jesus famous. You've been listening to a sermon from Louisville First Assembly. For more information, visit www.firstagonline.com. That's www.firstagonline.com.